Hello and welcome to another episode of the Diet Obsessed Podcast. I am your host, Veronica Santarelli, and this is a podcast for those of us who are just obsessed with all things diet culture, and we like to discuss the details and mention it all. All right, let's get into the episode. So today is another craving more, so hello to all my wonderful subscribers. I love you all. Uh, first I wanted to, we are going to be doing a podcast, uh, review pretty soon. The topic of that is going to be, I'm going to be reviewing another maintenance phase and it was, uh, called diet book deep dive, how to take 20 pounds off your man. So I thought that was a kind of funny and interesting topic. So, uh, especially following our economics of thinness and the gender uh, discrepancies that come with men that are overweight and women that are overweight. So uh, that kind of uh, inspired me to want to do that episode. But first, let's get into a quick personal update. So this week has been very busy. I think I told you on the last episode that I've been taking some online classes that ended up turning into me investing in this new software uh, because I've, I'm really, like I've mentioned a couple times, I'm really trying to turn this podcast into a real business. Uh, I, you know, the cannabis business, you know, is challenge after challenge. We have made some, some good progress this week on that, but you know, it's, it's been interesting thinking about having a business that is, you know, all my own. And I I made this investment in the software because it seems like software that will really help me. Uh, it's helping me build my own website. It's helping me, you know, do some different things that will actually turn this into more than just a podcast. And uh, it's been it's been an interesting journey this past week because I've been, you know, getting up early and watching these training videos and you know, just trying to figure out a lot of stuff that's not really my wheelhouse or hasn't been my wheelhouse, but I'm going to make it my wheelhouse. Uh, it's, you know, it's a lot of, um, you know, digital techniques and and, and online, uh, like an online business, which, again, I, I've always had to learn different software solutions for different businesses I've worked for. And I mean, including, you know, my company Grasp Health, which is in the cannabis space, uh, you know, I've always had to learn different software solutions for that. And, and I've always hated it. I mean, I've always hated having to sit there and, and go through tutorials and, and learn different things. But I think it's because it's been for other companies. I mean, of course, I own a big percentage of that company. But ultimately, it's, you know, my ex fiance who, you know, really founded that company. Um, you know, I was a co-founder and, and obviously like I'm the CEO and, and I've been kind of carrying it forward, but it's not my business, right? He's the one that really thought of that brand. And, but this is all mine. So the mindset shift in investing in myself and, you know, spending thousands of dollars on a software solution that's just for me to, to, to build my business, to build a future for me, it's, it's really exciting. And it's, um, you know, I think it was worth the investment. I'm really taking it seriously and putting a lot of work in every day. So I'll be, I'll be talking a little bit more about my website, but it feels good to invest in myself and to see, you know, like I made a vision board earlier this year and I have these really big goals on it. And earlier this year, I was like, how am I going to hit these goals? 
and 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 really you know you can dream and you can you know have these these hopes and 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 visions of what you want but unless you put action behind it you know you're never going to get there so i think this you know investing in this software investing in myself putting all this time in you know i think it's it's a step forward in the direction of achieving achieving some of the goals on my vision board so that's been a good a good thing for um for myself for my mental health so let's get into a mental health check-in so my mental health this week has been pretty good. I think I think just, you know, feeling myself making progress every day on my own business. And then I also have been making some progress with our Massachusetts business. Um, I've, I've been really proud of myself in terms of how I've responded to my partner there, our partner there. Um, I've, I've talked about before how he really triggers me and it's, it's almost this, this reaction that I get every time I see this email and, and I've been really grown up, even when he's kind of sent some very unprofessional emails to us, I'm, I'm very happy with my responses. I've, I've maintained my emotions. I've responded in a very professional manner. I haven't taken any of the stuff. I, I haven't responded to any of the insults he's sending us. You know, I've I've managed to I've managed to 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 control my desire to respond out of heated emotion. Right. And and I've I and I had to talk myself off the ledge. I had to delete several emails that I had typed out because I'm like, Veronica, it doesn't matter. It's it's not important for you to say that to him. It's not important to respond to every single point. Like don't give him ammo to then respond even more to you and 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 go down this black hole of unprofessional responses. It's just so I was I was so happy that I stopped myself thought about it and and sometimes just completely deleted it and didn't didn't respond or just responded to the parts of the email that needed a re- that actually needed a response. So that was good. And then part of what I needed to take back on cuz um you know, our partner isn't happy with the security choice that we made and uh so I've had to kind of take the lead on getting the security team back you know, engaged and helping us finish this product uh, project. And they've been responsive to me. So that's been a huge, I don't know why I get all this anxiety that I'm not going to be able to like get in touch with people and all these roadblocks are going to come and then it doesn't happen. So it's kind of stupid to get yourself worked up over things that haven't happened yet or that aren't even going to happen. So anyway, our security team has been responsive and the construction is near completion. And so, I mean, what that's going to mean for me is I'm going to need to, you know, be flying back and forth and I'll deal with it when I get to that point. I mean, I, I'll, I'll have to like really gear my mental capacity up to deal with that next stage. But um, for now, we're making progress. I feel good. My mental health is is good. All right, so let's get into my tasty treats of the week. So let's see, I take my last podcast on a Thursday. And so my, my general pattern is Monday through Thursday, I, I eat really, I try to eat mostly whole foods and, you know, really high protein, lower carbs, but well, not necessarily lower carbs, but just a lot of healthy whole food carbs. And, um, 
this week I, let's see. So from last, from the last time I taped, I had made this mushroom pizza that I had had in the freezer and it was this like pastry kind of, so, so by Thursday though, by Thursday night, I, I want something a little bit indulgent. And then for the, like Thursday through Sunday, I'm having some balance. I'll have like a really light, lean, whole food morning, and then balance it out at night with some indulgent, delicious, tasty treats. So, so yeah, so my tasty treat that night was this mushroom pizza that I thought was going to be incredibly delicious, but, and I'm a crust girl, like I like a crispy crust and I've even been known to eat like burnt crust. I, I just, I love a crunchy crust. This was like a pastry and and I'm a pastry girl, okay? I love my pastry. But this pastry was, it was almost like, it almost like cracked. It was just, it was a hard, like, it's so hard to explain. It was almost like, not like glass, but almost like, pl- not plasticky. I don't know. It was, it was just this very weird, hard, unpleasant texture. It wasn't crunchy. It was almost like, it almost didn't taste like you should eat it. You know, it almost tastes like you were crunching into, again, like not like a food-like substance. Anyway, it was it was very strange. the 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 mushroom part was decent. Uh, it you know it it wasn't as delicious as I wanted it to be. Period. But um, and then the next night, Friday, I worked during the day, and then went to my friend KK's house, and we had our our Bravo night. So that's a time when a couple of us girlfriends get together. We drink wine, we drink um, other things, and like I had my Trulies and a little bit of wine, and we watched a couple of the Bravo reunions. We watched the Vanderpump and Summer House reunion, and then I left before the Jersey reunion because I don't know why. I don't, Jersey just never has resonated with me, even though I'm Italian, and it seems like it should resonate with me. It doesn't, but... um So she had, so I brought over, because my friend Kate was going to bring over some jimmies, which are sprinkles for those of you not from the East Coast, and she brought over some ice cream. So I wanted something salty and sweet that I would enjoy, so I stopped and got that iced marble cake to go underneath the, the ice cream. And then I got these, these pipcorns, which are basically healthy cheese balls, um, like a healthier, lighter version of cheese balls. I love a cheese ball. Uh, and these ones had Tabasco in them. So I love this, the heat from the, the and this kind of like vinegary kind of heat taste from the, from the, um, from the Tabasco and then the cheese. Mm, they were good. And then let's see, she had a nice spread out. She had some, and I was starving when I got there because I just had like a healthy protein shake. And then I had, um, I don't know, I think I had some like vegetables that day and maybe some salmon. But um, so I got there starving and she had, let's see, she had a little charcuterie board. It was, she doesn't eat meat. She's a vegetarian. So she had, but she had cheese, a few cheeses, some crackers. I mean, Kate and KK often get like the healthy version of things. So I think these were those like sesame rice crackers, which they were okay. They're not my favorite crackers. I mean, they're, they're healthier for you because they're, you know, they're rice based. So they're gluten-free, but I don't know. I, they, they weren't my favorite. And then, but they were okay. She had some grapes. I had a grape. Uh, she had, what else did she have? She had these skewers of, it had a tortellini, a roasted red pepper, and then a little bite of cheese. 
and and some of them had pesto on them and that was delicious i had a couple of those and then what else did i have um she had some some queso and some tortilla chips but uh i wasn't really eating those i think it was because they weren't really close to me and everybody else was eating that so i just went for the straight cheese and crackers uh and then what else did i eat i felt like i was i was munching quite a bit on something else but anyway i had that i did have a little ice cream with a little cake underneath and some sprinkles on top and so that was yummy and then let's see then saturday what did we do saturday oh saturday we went to the westin hotel so i worked a half day that day and then our friend Navon and his wife michelle they had rented a cabana at this really kind of bougie hotel it was it's called the westin uh in desert ridge and the thing that was really exciting about this was they have a lazy river and if any of you have ever been on a lazy river, it's so, the only time, I've only been on one and it was in the Bahamas. And I think it was when I had gone on a, a work trip and I just remember this lazy river and how relaxing and amazing it was. And so this, this one was not as fun as the, at least what I remember from the Bahamas. I think it was because it was much more crowded and there were just a lot of kids that were, you know, like one kid like jumped into my raft with me or my little inner tube because I had like a double inner tube thing. And I'm like, oh, hello. <laughs> Who are you? Yeah, he was cute. But um, but it was fun. We got there. We had some drinks. Uh, we I had pina coladas. I, I kind of had some of the sugary drinks because it felt like a vacation day and I was indulging. So, and I was craving something yummy. Like I was thinking burger and fries. Like I knew I wanted some sort of sandwich with a fry situation happening. And so we got there and so I ordered this. So, okay. So we were two other girls. Now one of them got this turkey sandwich that had bacon in it. And this other girl ordered the same thing that I got. So what I had ordered was this like chicken type club thing. It was supposed to have bacon in it, uh, had a little cheese, had the chicken. It had, um, it was supposed to have bacon in it. Now I'm not a huge bacon fan, but I do like bacon, especially if it's crispy bacon. And, 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 and I never have aioli. So I, I had them remove the aioli, which for a lot of people, that is the flavor that gives the, the sandwich flavor. So I definitely needed this bacon in it. And then I ordered the side of fries, extra crispy as always. So the, the woman brings the first two sandwiches. Cause I ordered after everyone else had like Chad and I ordered probably like, I don't know, 30 minutes after they had. So their sandwiches come first. One of them, um, Michelle started eating hers and I looked at her sandwich and I'm like, oh no, did I order that? Because it was processed turkey. And I'm like, oh God, I'm like, I ordered processed turkey. I'm like, that's not going to be that good. And and then I saw Christy, the other girl, she bit into hers and hers was like chunks of chicken. I'm like, okay, actually that's what I ordered. But then she didn't have any bacon in hers. And I'm like, didn't you, didn't you, don't, don't we have the same thing? Isn't there supposed to be bacon in yours? And she's like, yeah, where's my bacon? And so the lady comes, she brings my sandwich. It doesn't have any bacon in it. So my wrap is literally just, a, and very, like almost no chicken. Like there's like a couple of chunks of chicken in there. There's a little bit of cheese and then it's just lettuce. 
And I'm like, there's literally no flavor to the sandwich at all. I mean, thank God I ordered fries because I was so hungry at that point that I did eat most of a half and I just used the fries for some of the flavor, you know, and um, dip it in ketchup. And so she came back and I'm like, hey, I'm like, sorry to do this, but I, I was supposed to have bacon in my sandwich. And she's like, oh, I had a note not to hold the bacon. And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't say that. I said, hey, hold the aioli, which you guys did. Thank you. And I said, but. I was supposed to have bacon. So they ended up bringing this whole other sandwich out, but it, they still didn't have bacon in it. It was like this ham, this like, I don't even know. It was like there was a little bit of crumbled ham on it. And I hate ham. I know this is a very subtle difference and it might sound weird that I hate ham, but I like bacon, but it is different. And this was some sort of ham. I don't know. I, it was like this... Uh, like almost like chopped up ham. I ate it. I was like, yeah, it's great. Thank you. I'm not going to complain again. And so I ate it. It was fine. Um, And then we did the lazy river thing. That was really fun. Took some good pictures. I do have a picture on my Instagram at the diet obsessed podcast. If you like to follow me. Um, And so we did that. We drank, I drank way too much. I mean, I was, I almost (laughs) like, I could have taken a nap out there, but I managed to stay awake, got my second wind. Uh, We had um, Christy's boyfriend join us, Luke. So we did a second round on the lazy river, more drinks. It was, it was a really good time. And then after everyone was talking about going to get dinner, which you know, I'm good for like a good three to four hours. After that, I'm kind of like, I just want to go home. But I, but what we ended up doing, like I didn't want to take an Uber to a restaurant, wait, you know, an hour for dinner. So what we ended up doing was just walking to this restaurant that was part of the Westin. And it was so nice because they seated us outside away from everybody, which they should have, because we were like disasters, like annoying drunk people. But, um, they seated us outside. There was bagpipes playing. The menu was great. So I ordered a pear martini that I did not need. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll get it. I'll get a cocktail. So I got a pear martini that was really good. I, I sipped it very slowly and drank a lot of water as well. And they had this, uh, what I ended up doing was ordering a bunch of appetizers. And Christy and I, one of the girls that we were with, uh, she ended up splitting everything with me. So it was perfect. So, cause I got to try a bunch of things. So ordered the, so I actually ordered some corn chowder, which might seem a little strange in the summer, but when I saw corn chowder, I'm not a, I'm not a white creamy kind of girl, as we know. I'm not someone that likes mayo, but I used to work at this restaurant like back in the day called Ollie's. It was in Manchester, New Hampshire. I, I waitressed there when I was in college and the food there was so good. The And they had this corn chowder and they would always sell out of it. And it was, and I, I, I didn't try it for probably the first year because I was like, ew, chowder, gross. Because um, I'm not like a seafood chowder. Like I don't really eat any other chowders. But uh, this, I one day they were like, you got to try this chowder. So I tried the chowder and it was so damn good. It was so good. And it was, it was kind of uh, thin. It wasn't like a thick soupy. It wasn't like a thick creamy uh, consistency. It was like a thin, you know, like a thin chowder. This one that I got at this restaurant was really thick. It still had a nice taste. It was just a little too thick for my 
my taste. But if you go look on my Instagram, you'll see it. <laughs> that had the bacon that I was missing. I mean, there were big, thick chunks of yummy, lean bacon in it. Delicious. So that was good. I got my bacon fix and had some corn chowder to start. And then let's see, I ordered this noble bread. Now, noble bread, I heard about this noble bread company from this guy that I was interviewing for my other company way back in the day, like when, when I first moved to Arizona. And so every time I see it on the menu, I always want to order it because this guy raved and raved and raved about this noble bread. And you'll see it on an Arizona menu kind of highlighted. And Chad told me that noble bread is supposed to be healthier, like better for you bread, which I hadn't heard that, but I did hear that sourdough bread is better for you. And this was sourdough bread. Now, I'm not a huge fan of sourdough bread in general. Uh, I don't like a sour, I don't like a sourness to my bread, period. I have had good sour sourdough bread, but it's been sourdough bread that somehow didn't taste like sourdough. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I'm not a huge fan of the sourdough bread. I did order it. It was okay. I mean, it, I, I needed more butter. She didn't come back to, for me to order more butter in time. So that was a little bit of a bummer. I like a lot of butter. If I'm going to eat bread, I like a lot of butter. But I ate it. It was fine. And then let's see. Then we ordered crab cakes. The crab cakes were good. Uh, and then we ordered, actually the crab cakes were great. I really, really, there was a lot of crab in them. They were excellent. And then we ordered this tuna, kind of like a tuna ahi kind of, um, you know, with, with the avocado. I don't think it's poke. It's like a, it's like a tuna avocado, uh, ahi tuna kind of appetizer. You know, they, they serve like either wontons or something crispy and you put the raw tuna on there with a little avocado. And usually there's some kind of sauce, and I've had them before where the tuna was in this kind of like sesame type sauce with maybe a little sesame oil and soy sauce. And it's really flavorful and salty and delicious. And then I have had it when it's like this, which was completely bland and flavorless. So it was a little disappointing. It was it was fine. I mean, it, it, it was tasted healthy, <laughs> you know, like bland, but uh, it was it was OK. That wasn't my favorite, but I mean, the waitress was like, definitely go for the ahi tuna over the crab cake. I would have, I, I would say the crab cake won over that ahi tuna dish, but all of it was pretty good. And I took some pictures, posted on my Instagram. So, so that was that night and that was Saturday. And then Sunday I went and did all my grocery shopping for the week. I wanted to have a nice, healthy week, lean, high protein, but what ended up happening is I ended up, so I meant to get these, those ice cream sandwiches again from Trader Joe's with the, I wanted some sort of sweet treat that was gone on the Sunday. Uh, and I forgot to get those. So I had gone to Trader Joe's, got all my healthy, nutritious stuff for the week, and I forgot the ice cream. So I went back out. And I went to see if I could find the sprinkles or jimmies that I had looked for the follow the prior weekend, but couldn't find. So I go to a different store and lo and behold, the jimmies are on 50% sale. So of course I had to buy two. <laughs> I had to stock up on the sprinkles, uh, which is always, you know, not a good idea for me because the texture of eating having ice cream with a ton of jimmies on it is so 
pleasurable to me. Like I love it when I get a little bit of the melty ice cream with a bite of the Jimmy and it's like, mm, it's so good and it's so fun to eat. I don't know why. I just love eating that dessert. So I got two different types of ice cream. I got butter pecan and I got peppermint. And then I got two of those Jimmy things. And I actually, I'd like to be say this is, I'm very proud of this. I, I still have some in the freezer. Okay. I ate a lot that night, of course, but I didn't, I didn't do what I normally do and eat till I get sick and like force myself to finish it. I just, I didn't do that. I, I haven't been doing the whole like binging thing that I, I have done in the past. So that's good. That I think that just means I'm in a better mental health space because I'm not emotionally eating as much to like cover my stress and emotions. Uh, I think that I've just been a little bit more in control and certainly want my sweet treat at the end of the night. But um, so anyway, so I ended up eating most of the butter pecan that night and I had the peppermint for this week and I've just been having, you know, I've been eating really healthy. So I've been eating mostly salmon, my superfood smoothie in the morning, lots of vegetables. I'm eating lots of cucumbers and pea pods and carrots and um, let's see what else. I had some soup. I had some lentil soup. So really healthy, nutritious things. And then I have had a cup of the peppermint ice cream with the jimmies at night and it's been a good week. I've been very satisfied. It's nice balance. So, so that has been my tasty treats and how I've balanced this week. I mean, like part of my weight loss or or weight maintenance hacks are having, you know, really like I worked out and then just ate protein and vegetables right after. So that I kind of stay in this like almost fasting stage in the morning and into the afternoon. And then I'm ready for, you know, my delicious treats at night. So that just works for me. And so, yeah, so that was my tasty treats of the week. Okay, and then very quickly, I'll mention my diet culture media moment that I I noticed this week. So the Kardashians are back and I've been watching. And last night I watched episode two, I believe it was, where Chloe had to have this like tumor removed from her face and she had stitches on the inside of her mouth and so she really wasn't able to eat for, for I don't know how long, but she wasn't really able to chew anything. She couldn't eat. And she's very thin. I mean, she, like, I've heard a couple of people talking, I think on social media about, does Chloe have an eating disorder? Blah, blah, blah. And I, I think people are rumbling about Ozempic and all these different things, hypothesizing on how she's gotten so tiny and so, so in shape. And I think, you know, I think part of the part of it's the attention that she's getting, right? She's getting so much, you know, positive feedback. And I'm sure she feels, you know, better than she ever has because she's, you know, she was always called the fat one, right? She was always, you know, degraded by society for not being as small and petite as Kim. As we know, you know, as we know from the economics of thinness, white women are torn down if they are in a larger body size than than others. And so, you know, I'm sure Chloe dealt with more trolling than any of us will ever, ever, ever know. And I think now that she's really, you know, put a lot of work into her look and she's done some surgery and she's now in the best shape of her life. And that does turn into an addiction, right? Like it does, 
turn into this desire for, I don't know, just more, more, more. And, and that can turn, that can turn into an eating disorder, like liking that positive feedback, wanting to get thinner, wanting to get thinner. So I don't, I don't know that she does. What I, what I noticed was she said, she said, she said something interesting. She was like talking, talking to her mom about how she was excited to get these stitches out of her face. And she's like, oh yeah, I just, I I miss eating. I love to eat. And it's just been so hard because I haven't been able to eat. And then she said it again. Like it, it wasn't enough to say it once. She's like, I just, I, I just love to eat, you know, and I just haven't been able to eat and I love it. And it was just like the second statement of saying that in the same scene that I'm like, okay, that's a little bit of overkill. Like, why do you feel like you need to, to repeat that and say that so ardently? And I think it's probably because pe- she hears the rumors about people talking about her having an eating disorder and she's probably responding through saying, you know, I haven't been able to eat because of these stitches in my mouth, but I love to eat. And she has to like repeat that. So I just, I thought that that was interesting and notable and and worth just a small mention. So that was my diet culture media moment. All right. So let's now get into my podcast review of maintenance phase. And this one was diet book deep dive, how to take 20 pounds off your man. And you know, I I definitely thought that this was an interesting topic because, I mean, you know, I, I've I've mentioned before that I, you know, I I don't I I think it's really important <clears throat> that you cannot force a partner to ever do anything you want them to do just because you want them to do it, right? And and I think about you know, like times that I've felt pressured by my partner, right? Like I've been with controlling uber health minded people in my, in my day and they're putting any type of pressure on me has always sent me in the opposite direction, wanting to eat more, wanting to lash out, wanting to rebel. And I just think that that's typically the mentality that happens. You know, I've talked about how when I worked at Equinox, men would come in and buy their wives fitness, you know, the whole, you know, $2,000 membership, and it would go unused because the wife probably wasn't self-motivated. She's probably unmotivated specifically because her husband was trying to push her in that way. So I'm a big believer in it has to come internally, right? It has to be a choice that you make. And I'll never, I, I have said things to Chad about, like I read recently that there's all these products that are used in the U.S. where the U.S. doesn't uh, regulate them. Like in Europe, like there's all these preservatives that that aren't in food in Europe that are in our food here. There's chemicals that aren't allowed to be used in Europe that are used here. Um, and apparently there's like there's this chemical in Mountain Dew, Diet Mountain Dew specifically, that is not allowed in Europe but is used here. And I did just say that to Chad the other day because he drinks a ton of Diet Mountain Dew. And I'm like, so did you know that there's this like chemical in here that is not allowed in Europe, but is allowed here? I'm like, just, you know, just in case you don't want to drink that anymore. Just my whole thing has always been, you know, like he eats, he's a cancer survivor. So my whole thing has always been worried about him exacerbating a future cancer diagnosis. And I know a lot of that is like 
it's stuff I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that I should be worried about that or thinking about that, but I can't help myself from thinking about that. I love him. I want him to live a long, healthy life with me. And, and I, you know, every, you know, <laughs> talked to his sister before. His sister's like, well, you know, cancer typically comes back. I'm like, um, why are you saying that to me? <laughs> why, you know? So I just think anything that we can do preventatively to help it. So I will say, you know, cannabis has anti-cancer properties. So the fact that I, you know, pump them full of cannabis <laughs> can't be a bad thing. Um, but you know, like there's all this talk about how, you know, deli meat and like charcuterie meat, like all those like processed meats are carcinogen, carcinogenic. Uh, and and he eats a lot of that stuff. So, of course, there's part of me that worries about stuff like that, just candy, like stuff like that, that could, if if there are any cancer cells lingering, that it could exacerbate those cancer cells. That's the biggest thing for me. Like, I don't need my boyfriend to lose weight. I think he looks great the way he is. I know he wants to lose some weight. I think he looks great. I mean, he he's probably like 30 pounds heavier than he was when I met him. And I'm fine with that. Like, I I don't care about that. I, I just, I want him, I do want him to be conscious about overall health, right? And I know there's a lot of like, fat activists that say, oh, these thin women or these thin, these these people that are saying, oh, it's about your health when really they just want you to lose weight. Again, I come from the firm stance that there, you know, if my dad had made small changes that he could have improved his overall health. I really do believe that. So I am focused on the health stuff uh, and from, you know, for good reasons, right? From my family history, from what I've seen. Uh, and so... So anyway, they get into this, uh, and I mean, obviously, this is this is a very old book. This is a book that was written in the '80s, and it wasn't a bestseller. Uh, she, you know, Aubrey started out. She said, "You know, this this diet is not anything special." She's like, "But there is something very notable and weird about it." She said, "This book is geared towards wives who think their husbands should lose weight." And the author claims to have helped her own husband lose 35 pounds. And she said her husband wrote and, and, you know, and Michael, her, her co-host is like, what? Like, and, and she's like, yeah, her husband wrote the afterword. So her husband was involved with it, right? He, he wrote a little section at the end of the book and, and his doctor wrote a little section at the foreword in the book. And so Michael reads the a little snippet from the cover. Now this was written in 1984. And it's a it's a bright yellow photo of a very attractive couple and apparently in the photo a girl is measuring the man around his waist and saying that uh and and it's a couple that just like he he looks like he should be in LA law uh and it says surprise him with a svelte new body. And, and they're just kind of laughing about, you know, the image and, and what it's what it's promoting. And so Michael reads, if his health and lifespan are being affected by his weight and your Mr. Right guy is doing nothing about it to keep you from premature widowhood and being forced back on the dating circuit, well, then it's time to take charge. You don't want to have to take out the garbage by yourself when you're 65, do you? You don't want to have to worry about your date for New Year's Eve. Get this waist, get his waist shrink, get this waist shrinking book and you can get your lovable teddy bear under control. So it's very stigmatizing. 
Uh, and, and Aubrey was, you know, she said, what I'm taking from this book is it's more a discussion about ideas on weight and gender. She's like, it's repulsive to think you can control you can take control of someone else's weight and it's our default way of treating fat people, especially very fat people. So Aubrey's very triggered by this idea of trying to control other people's weight. And it, it definitely comes from, you know, experiences that she's had in her life as a, as a fat person. Aubrey said, it's very common when I go out to eat for people to stare at me while I'm eating. And at times, people will even say something to me about what I'm eating. She said, I've had people take food off my plate and say, you don't need that. And she's like, this continues to be how many people treat fat people. Now, that is completely shocking. You know, just a side note, it's, I I can only imagine the trauma that would come from having people stare at you while you're eating. I mean, I'm also not comfortable with people staring at me while I'm eating and I'm not a fat person, right? Like I already have those insecurities. I've always had those insecurities all my life and I'm not a fat person. Imagine if somebody was staring at you and then taking food off your plate and saying you don't need that. I I can't imagine. So Michael said, I'm very curious to know what the husband thinks of all this. And Aubrey said his afterword that he wrote is very short. She said he's basically praising his wife for being very driven. He said um, she set her mind to something and accomplished it. She said that in his section, he said, once I realized that I could still eat my blend of cold cereals, I realized it's not what you eat, but how much. And I felt like Einstein once I, re once I realized this. He said, reading this book has stiffened my resolve. Stay tuned for part two from my marvelous wife. So it sounds like he's happy with the money that she made from this book. Uh, so <laughs> Michael's like, blink twice if you're okay. <laughs> Show me today's newspaper. So he's he's making jokes as if the husband doesn't really want to do <laughs> the afterward and be supportive. Uh, and so... Aubrey describes the author, whose name is Susie Coulter. She's a career writer and author. She's written for many prestigious, uh, you know, businesses, including Cosmo Magazine, Travel and Leisure. She said she's written books on travel, shopping guides, where to shop. And she also wrote two other diet books, including a cookbook with Richard Simmons. And she describes herself as being naturally skinny and she actually had to try to gain weight. So doesn't mention, oh, you have no idea how to help people lose weight. So that that is interesting. I mean, if somebody's never, ever struggled with their weight, I mean, I've never been what somebody would call fat, but I've, I've gained, you know, I've gained over 30, 40 pounds and have had to lose that weight. So, you know, I think if you've experienced it, it makes you much more qualified, I think. And it doesn't sound like this woman is, is you know, licensed in anything. So uh, it just sounds like she cares about her husband being thinner and she has a writing background. So, and she's naturally skinny. So Aubrey's like, yeah, what is this woman talking about? She doesn't even know anything. So she said the diet is, Aubrey said that the diet is basically just simple, you know, simple, low fat and low calorie diet, you know, for losing weight. It's nothing special. 
She's like, she suggests logging the weight, her, the weight weekly, healthy swaps like fish instead of red meat, you know, brown rice over baked potatoes, calorie counting, uh, wives cutting their husband's intake of calories down from 1500 to 2000 per day. She's like, it's pretty basic. She's like, it, the difference is it's not written for the dieter, but actually the dieter's wife. She advocates throughout the book that the husband shouldn't know he's on a diet. And Michael's like, oh, wow, she's explicit about it, you know, imposing this in, upon her husband rather than like getting his buy-in. And so he ends up, uh, Michael reads a quote from the back of the book. It says, forget prayer, hypnotism, biofeedback, and nagging. Here is the, here is the book using stealth subterfuge, trick and treat. You can painlessly save the man you love from unslightly and unhealthy pounds. Why is Sneaky better? This weight loss plan works because it requires almost no effort from your man. In fact, he won't even realize he's on a diet until he only has one love handle left. It's basically saying, don't talk to him about it. Just do it behind his back. <laughs> and Aubrey's like, yeah, that's totally true. I mean, she advocates for telling him halfway through after losing, after after some progress so that he realizes he's losing weight. And she can be like, yeah, you're welcome. That's, that's, that's me. And Michael's like, yeah, this is how you treat a dog. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's, I agree. And, and Michael's like, yeah, when you... When you out the, when you put the pill in the kibble and then, you know, has the audacity to write a book about it, he's basically comparing it to like how you get your dog to take medicine, you know, kind of hide it from them. And, but then she's like, you know, promoting it and, and writing a book about it so that other women can follow suit. So Aubrey said, you know, you can tell him, you can read this book together, but in her case, in Susie, the author's case, she realized that being sneaky was the best for her relationship. And then she talks about the why. So Michael reads a quote from the book, and, and this is the why behind the book. Uh, she said, I believe that the end justifies the means. My mom always taught me it's kinder to tell a white lie than the whole truth. I'm very big on kindness. I don't think my husband would be willing to participate if I laid all my cards on the kitchen table. He's been violently opposed to other weight loss programs, and I didn't think he would change his mind. I thought this would give us both something to be proud of when we had results and would be motivated to keep going once we saw progress. So she's basically saying, I brought it up before. He didn't want to do it. Then I did it anyway. <laughs> and this may sound horrifying, but I knew if I didn't do it this way, I wouldn't get what I want. <laughs> so Aubrey was like, yeah, she, tr she needed to override his lack of consent and rejection of this and force him to be thinner. And, and Aubrey said she, the, the author talked about the stages she went through when her husband was not losing weight, then listed a bunch of direct interventions she tried on him. So for example, one, she nagged and called his parents until he was like, can you get my parents off my back about my weight? Then she called his doctor. Then when that didn't work, she took him to an exercise class, but she said the instructor just made fun of him. So we left. So she's basically engineering everything around him to indicate he's fat and needs to lose weight. Another thing she tried, she started in initiating fights like, like, that's the end of our sex life. 
Uh, then she started starts blaming herself for his size. Then that didn't work. So then she then she tried going into a Zen phase where she just kind of let it go for a bit, pretended not to care. And then her final stage was fury and determination. Zen is bullshit. If he can't do it, I'll do it for him. Why would I respect his boundaries when I can just not? <laughs> LOL. So so much of, of the book is about how you keep him in the dark. You want him to feel like it's a treat, jazz up the table, and how you arrange the presentation of the food. So that's that's apparently how she suggested to... Uh, get him to not be aware that he's eating less portions and eating healthier versions of what he used to eat or lower calorie options, I should say. And so then Aubrey read a quote from the author, Susie. If he does ask what the hell is going on, you can tell him any number of truths or half truths or lies. Uh, she's like, you could say you're taking a cooking class and wanted to try it. You could say you saw the dish in a magazine and wanting wanted to, and got curious about it and wanted to try it. You could say you got bored with your lifestyle and wanted some cheap thrills. You could also say that your fantasy is to run a restaurant and you're trying the art of presentation on him. He fell for these and now our life isn't so boring because he's slimmer and now is divine looking. <laughs> so that was a quote from the book. And Michael's like, this is gross. Uh, she's like, but it sounds like now the rest of her life needs to be, uh, you know, chopping chives to maintain his weight and this fantasy because most people don't change habits and they just end up going back to their old habits and gaining the weight back. And Audrey was like, the, the fact that she can use running a restaurant as a lie is weird because he's been married to her forever and this dream suddenly pops up that she's never, ever mentioned before. That's a little, a little suspect. So then Michael was like, there's no way he didn't know what was going on. He's going to understand the fact that we, he's going to understand the fact that we used to have dessert after dinner, but now we don't. And Aubrey said, she talks about the great kitchen lockout and basically how to restrict your husband's access to food at home. She's like, if you have kids and kid food in the house, you should lock those in a separate part of the house. Tell your kids when they, where they are, but, but to keep them there so that your dad doesn't find out. I mean, Michael's like, yeah, she's basically telling her kids to lie to their father. That's a great message. And Aubrey was like, there was actually, there was a lady who actually put padlocks on cupboards to lock her husband out, but the author prefers words over hardware. She said another lady talked about how there was an infestation in the house and all the food needed to be thrown out. That was her excuse to her husband. And Michael's like, you can't maintain that forever though. And Aubrey's like, yeah, it's also really expensive to throw all the food out and replace it. And Michael's like, well, but then there's also going out and eating at work. Like, how do the wives control outside of the home? And Aubrey's like, oh, like she didn't address those things. She's like, just wait. She she gets there. She said, if you have told him, no, she said, if she said, if you have told him, notify him a few days ahead of time, if he's going out to eat so he can eat fewer calories loading up to it, 
basically she's she's talking about budgeting calories so that she he he has extra calories to eat while he's out because he's eaten even less during leading up to that that dining out experience and so she she also recommended getting a copy of the menu beforehand mark it up and highlight the lowest calorie choices and this is pre-internet time so this is like literally like going to the restaurant and asking for a copy of their menu uh and, you know, this way he has a list of what he's allowed to order. And Michael's like, this is deranged. This is a part-time job. And it sounds like a full-time job, actually. And and Aubrey's like, well, then she has some advice for him at the office. So Michael reads this quote. It says, if you need assistance observing him at the office, enlist a secretary or office chum. A woman would be a better choice over a man, and for heaven's sake, don't make it seem like she needs to spy. <laughs> As if that's not what this is. Uh, so Aubrey's like, yeah, tell him everything my husband eats in a day, but that isn't spying. And this certainly isn't crossing any boundaries, now is it? And Michael's like, and what are you supposed to do with this information exactly? You know, you know what he eats, so what, what do you do with that now? And Aubrey's like, yeah, right. So so say the spy says he has three pieces of pizza for lunch or hamburger and fries or something like that. She's like, what do you say when he gets home if you want to keep it a secret? Do you just like not give him dinner? <laughs> and Michael's like, it's going to be car carrot sticks again, honey. And so Aubrey's like, yeah, enlisting someone to spy at work is what abusive partners do. And Michael's like, yeah, this is very abusive. There's such a lack of awareness of how bad this is. I don't even know how to react to this. He's like, it's being packaged as a life hack, but it's not funny. Uh, and Audrey is like, in every way you violate him, his boundaries, the people around him by enlisting them to spy, what he specifically told you he doesn't want to do because you know best because you're the thin one right? She's like, this happens in so many relationships. She's like, it happens in child-parent relationships. It happens in romantic relationships. She's like, when someone thinks they are acting out of love by manipulating what they're allowed to eat. She's like, I've heard of a partner buying the other one a pair of jeans two sizes too small in an effort to motivate them to fit into them. She's like, I even had a friend in high school who thought it would be supportive for her to keep a log of what, oh, Aubrey says, Aubrey sharing an example of what happened to her when she was in high school. And she had this friend who was like, I think it's going to be helpful if I keep a log of what you eat. And Aubrey's like, um, <laughs> no. And Michael's like audibly gasping. He's like, no. And Aubrey's like, yeah, she, I mean, she thought she was helping me. She's like, there's, there was no, back then, she's like, there was no fat acceptance messaging at all. She's like, there was no body positivity. There was none of this. She's like, so some of that got passed down from, from mother to child. That's just, that's how these things work. And, and Michael's like, well, what did you say to your friend when she was trying to do that? And Aubrey was like, I just justified it because, you know, she was trying to help. She's like, but now I would definitely tell someone to fuck off. <laughs> and, and Michael's like, yeah, one of the biggest misconceptions about anti-fat bias is that the worst forms of it come from strangers. He's like, we've heard stories of people that yell from a car or say something randomly in a restaurant 
But the research actually shows that most of the discrimination comes from people that love us, like family members and friends. You know, when you're close to someone, you really do need to be more careful. And Aubrey's like, this book is all about policing your significant other, but also it hints about doing the same for just other people. She said, your duty as a mother, this is a quote from the book. She's like, your duty as a mother is to ensure your children don't grow up with a weight problem. And she said, part of the interesting thing to Audrey, Aubrey about this book is this belief that thin women, thin women pay the ultimate price for anti-fatness. That's how we treat it culturally. That the worst thing you could do is call a thin woman fat, not treat a fat person like shit. She's like, you can see this in the amount of media we get when Lizzo deals with anti-fatness versus when someone calls, for example, Britney Spears fat. She's like, we collectively center around the thin woman's experiences. Thin women center themselves, she said, but they do that in a way that's completely uncritical of this shit. She's like, which is which is in the way they are actively policing other people's bodies or judging other people and, and manipul- manipulating them. She's like, this is what abusive things people do. She's like, they don't respect other people's boundaries. She's not treating him as an autonomous person. It's like girl boss diet abuse shit. And, and Michael said, so just, just as a pause right here, I mean, she seems to be lumping all thin women into a group that we center ourselves and that we have, you know, we, we have this critical way of judging other people and trying to manipulate them. I don't think all thin women are like that. I think there's definitely some thin people that do that. Absolutely. So I, I feel like I, I mean, not that I'm not a judgmental person, right? Like, I think all humans are judgmental people. I do. I think that that's just a human condition. I think that, I think that's how we, we survived from like dinosaurs back in the day is like looking at the situation, judging what's safe, what's not. So I don't think that people will ever stop being judgmental. I think, I think what you can do is control your judgment a little bit by, um, and also acting on the judgment, right? I, I will say things that I notice that relate to this are when, you know, when I'm interviewing someone for my sales job where like they, 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 they consider themselves needing to lose weight. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. You know, I'm, I'm on a screen, I'm over zoom with them, but a lot of pe- a lot of, especially women, but some men, actually men do it too now, uh, you know, because I have to ask this question in my interview process, like, are you in good health? And and it brings about all of these insecurities in people. I can I can see it happening in front of my eyes. I can see them say, well, I need to get back to the gym or, oh, I, I, I am, but I need to lose some weight as as if they feel like I'm judging them, like I need them to admit this to me. And I, and I don't. I always say, you look great. I have women because I, I usually present myself kind of like just in general when I'm going to work when I'm going to be in front of people I present myself very like polished I put makeup on I do my hair I'll put jewelry on you know I try to look nice that might be the people pleaser in me that might be the perfectionist thing that I was taught you know growing up as a girl but I just I don't know I've always thought that that's kind of respectful is if especially if you're if you're doing a job 
and you're selling to someone too. Like I, I mean, I want to look my best and feel my best anyway. So I'm confident in what I'm saying and doing. And I just always thought it was respectful, um, to, to put your best foot forward. Uh, and, and so I do know that the way I present myself when, when some of the women are like, it's their day off and they have no makeup on and they just, their hair's not done and they rolled out of bed. It, it sometimes works against me if I'm super polished and they almost it, – it can throw off the the situation because they're like, oh, I didn't I didn't get ready for this. I didn't I, I didn't take a shower. Oh, I – you know, and they're, they're sitting there like I, – I haven't said anything. It's just they're – they're thinking that I'm judging them. And it could be – it could be that they're they're judging themselves. They're like, oh, she's going to judge me because she's she's this and I'm not put together right now. And I think it happens with weight loss too. Like I'll never forget this woman who, this is back in the day. This was when I was in the weight loss industry. And this woman, we started this uh, consultation and she said to me that she always thinks that thin people are judging her. It doesn't matter. She, she, She always can, she just can't get it out of her head. And right after she said it, I could, I could see that she thought that I was judging her. Like I, and I, tried all these ways to speak in a very empathetic manner and really, and I am just in general, an empathetic, kind person. I try to be, or I, I, you know, I am, that, that is who I am. I'm not perfect, but I, I definitely I care about people. I never want to hurt people's feelings. And I, and I could tell that no matter what I said, that was going to come, that was her internal stuff. Right. But also I know that what Aubrey's saying is coming from having experienced this from so many thin people in her life. So now she has this kind of overarching kind of idea of what thin women and thin people in general, what what we're thinking when we see a fat person, right? And and so, and I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I understand why Aubrey thinks these things. I mean, she's had so many experiences with it that I'll never have, right? So she's seen it on such an intimate level. But um, so anyway, I just wanted to say that because I, I'm i not taking offense to what she says, but I, I do think she's making a blanket statement about thin people that aren't, isn't always true, right? So uh, anyway, so Michael then went on to say, <laughs> he was just making a joke. He's like, did he write another book called My Wife is Trying to Kill Me? He's like, you know, the difference between Munchausen's and Munchausen's by proxy. He's like, one, you fake an illness. And he's like, the other one, you're basically saying, oh, my child's sick. And, you know, this, this person needs to be fixed. She's like, you're, you're appointed, you're, you've appointed yourself as this person that's going to fix this situation. Uh, And Aubrey said, there's basically six core messages throughout this book. She said, one is that being fat will kill you. And she's like, and we know this is false. She said, but quotes from the book about when she first met her husband, she figured he was in line. She's she's kind of quoting from the book. And she said that when she first met her husband, this, this woman, Susie, that was the author, she figured he was in line to have a heart attack and kick the bucket if he didn't lose some weight and keep it off. And she's like, it's time to take charge, woman. And Michael's like, is she just spouting information with no stats to back it up that she just feels like, 
oh, you know, he's going to have a heart attack, but I actually don't have any evidence or science to back this up. Aubrey said the stat she references, she said, I read, this is a quote, I read an unnamed survey in the health and fitness handbook that announced these shocking figures. And the shocking figures are that only 50% of overweight women surveyed understood they were overweight. Only 25% of the overweight men realized they were overweight. Only 10% surveyed were planning to reduce. And she's like, it is, it is a commentary on why women may have better eyesight than men, but it's a dramatic commentary on why your husband is overweight. And Michael's like, ugh, this is just like BMI bullshit. And Aubrey's like, you're, you're going to deep. She's like, you're going too deep in this. She's like, she had me at unnamed survey in the health and fitness handbook. She's like, there's no citation. There's no reference. She's like, this is literally bullshit. She's like, I was trying to fact check bullshit. She's like, and I realized it was pointless. And Michael said, I think what she's doing with this whole death obsession is her husband's weight is giving her ammunition for this level of judgment about his looks. She just wants a thinner husband. And this is the rhetoric she's using to not feel bad. And, and Aubrey's like, totally. And she never mentioned anything about having a conversation with a doctor or that he ever had any test results that came back concerning. But she does recommend getting your husband's health results surreptitiously. Now, here's what I'm going to say to this, okay? Let me tell you a story. And I'm, I'll tell this story because we're behind a paywall. So I have some neighbors in, and and I'm telling you this because... I, I know that Aubrey is tearing this book apart because there's a lot of bullshit stuff in this book, of course. It's diet culture shit. It's, it's wrong to manipulate your partner. Like, all this stuff is wrong. But the fear of losing your partner to, to, to a heart attack or to cancer or it's a real thing. It is. Like, I saw it. I saw it from my dad. I worry about it with my boyfriend and, and my next door neighbor, okay? next door neighbor in Maine, uh, I don't, I'm not going to name her name, but she had, so this was, I think the second marriage for both of them. And they had this, so they were our next door neighbors growing up and they always had a lot of money. They were successful. This guy was like Mr. Fix it. He had this thriving business in Maine. He could fix anything. He was like into snowmobiles and four-wheelers and had all these boats and would always go boating and had like really big like luxury speedboats that had, you know, underneath them you could sleep on them. And, and they were hard partiers. Like they drank a lot. They ate a lot. They partied a lot. They were both, they were both, you know, they're both very overweight um, and, and didn't exercise. Like they didn't exercise. They just, you know, ate really indulgent food. And look, a lot of people in Maine are overweight. It's, it's not a state that's, you know, superficial like Los Angeles or whatever. It's, it's a state where people don't put as much thought into health and wellness in general. I'm generalizing big time. I think things have changed in some areas, but in general, you're not going to see as many people that are super health conscious on the East Coast as the West Coast. That's just a fact. And and so 
so anyway, so they would, they would have these, I mean, they, and they were just, they loved each other so much. They were great partners. And I want to say he was in his early sixties when they went out on a boating trip. They were in the middle of the ocean and he drops with a massive heart attack. And she was left to try to get this boat back with him just dying, literally dying in the boat. He died. He died of a heart attack in front of her fucking eyes. And uh, it it literally breaks my heart. I mean, can you imagine seeing your partner of, I think they were married over 20 years, just drop dead of a heart attack on a boat when you have to get it back into shore. You're trying to save him. You're tr- No one around. And and I'm sorry, that is a real fucking thing. She is living this life now where she had to figure out what to do with his business. She had to figure out what to do with the house. She had to figure all this stuff that she never did before, right? She never had, she, and and she, going through the stress and the, the depression and, and now trying to date again, right? Like trying to date and put herself out there at her age, which she's in her 60s now, which, the, and look, not to say that, you can't find love in your 60s. My, my mom's, you know, found the love of her life in her 50s. Like, I I, I think, but it, but it is hard to start over when you've had this wonderful partner for so long. And now you just don't, right? And, you know, he probably, if he, I don't know what the situation was, if he had gone to regularly to his doctor, I'm sure if he had gotten some of the proper tests maybe they would have seen that there was a blockage in his heart or whatever I don't I don't know I mean but but it's but them completely disregarding that this woman is actually is concerned about her her husband's health and not just vanity I mean clearly this woman is superficial I mean she the way she describes her like pudgy husband with the the slimmer look and the love handles like all that stuff it does sound very superficial but the fact that she mentions some of this stuff about keeping him alive longer keeping him around you, you know it's a real thing women live longer than men <laughs> they just do so I, 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 I absolutely, I mean, there's, of course, I think, and my anxious mind goes to like the future with Chad and like, what if he, like, if he doesn't, you know, start taking his health more seriously and he ends up getting cancer and he, like, what am I going to do? Like, anyway, I, I, I go down this like wormhole where I, I don't know what my part is in trying to keep him healthy. I know that I can't force him to do anything he doesn't want to do. So I try to live by example. I try to talk just over like really high level about, you know, like I, I encourage him to go to the doctor and get tests. Like he just got his blood work done. So all these things, like I encourage him just to make sure that his tests and, and anything that we can do to control some of that, great. But I don't try to control what he eats because you know, I, I, again, like I talk about the Mountain Dew chemical thing, and I will mention some of these things. But again, if I tried to control him or manipulate him like this woman is in this book, it, it often puts, pushes them in the opposite direction. And, and anyway, so I just had to kind of go off on that tangent for a second, because they're completely disregarding this. And I've seen it firsthand that it is a real thing. It just is. So anyway, I just wanted to, say that briefly but um but anyway so so Aubrey had said like you know she she 
recommends getting her husband's health results surreptitiously. And Michael's like, I'm not sure how you would do that. And Aubrey's like, even if she does believe he is going to die as a result of his weight, this is a wild way to deal with that. And it's probably not true. She has no good evidence. It's like everything in this book is a note is, is I've noticed my husband has behaved in this way. And I think this means this. She, he's like, she talks about maybe one or two conversations that she's had with him in this entire book. And Michael said, even if his health markers were truly bad, it's like that would be a conversation you would want to have with your husband so that he can be involved in how he wants to get healthier. What changes do you want to make? How can I support you? You know, just deciding your husband is a terminal case and moving forward in your own way without his consent is not the right way to go about things. Okay, now I do agree with Michael in that statement. I do think that, like Chad and I have conversations all the time, like, hey, Let's go get your colonoscopy. Colonoscopy. Let's make sure that your tests are normal. Like so, and I, he's right. Like this is a conversation you should have uh, health-wise with your partner. And Aubrey says she does at some points try to bridge this idea with your husband is his own person. And so Michael reads this quote. Uh, from the book, it says, your job is not to run your husband's life. If he's interested in being in prime physical fitness, that's his business. Your business is feeding him low calorie, healthy foods, and keeping his weight at a safe level. I know you can you can mind your business and help your man live longer. And so Aubrey's like, none of what she's said is minding your own business. And she said, this brings us to the second core message of this book, which is, Fat people's narratives of their own bodies are lies. And she says she writes extensively that your husband is going to give you all kinds of excuses, you know, typical male excuses. And Michael said, yeah, he, he might tell you he's uncomfortable with the manipulation he's experiences and experiencing. And Aubrey's like, excuses include, I'm not overweight, you're just too skinny. Or this is protection against the cold. Or the old favorite... I have big bones. And she said, here's her attempt to make her argument more compelling. So Michael reads this quote. I would like to say that my husband's body is none of your business, but that's not really the case because if your husband's body is like my husband's, then you have a problem. My husband is built like his parents, which is to be expected. Genetically speaking, he could never look like Abe Lincoln or Ichabod Crane but he could look like a thinner version of his parents and be a lot healthier. So he comes from big folks. He's like, I'm supposed to be big genetically. And she's like, no, no, I'm not going to let you like live by your genetics. So uh, Aubrey's like, now let's discuss the charts, like what your husband eats. She's like, we haven't scratched the surface on, on how much she's modern monitoring her husband. She has a weight chart that says for weighing in, uh, she, she has a weight chart for weighing in and it's over the course of 12 weeks. It's called chart his progress. And day one is a guesstimate of his current weight. And the last day is the tell all day when you confess any ways in. And Michael's like, I'm trying to think about how you tell your partner that you've been lying and manipulating him and cutting down on the food you give them. And then trying to get them on the scale. <laughs> that would be a difficult one. 
And Aubrey's like, this entire book is a roadmap to disregard whatever objections your partner has and proceed regardless. She's like, there's no point, she says, to drop it under certain conditions. Uh, well, at one point she does say uh, that about this, that there's this third, about the third core message from this book is if they look fat, they are fat. And Michael's like, at least she admits it. She's like, at least she's admitting that this is all about physical appearance, how people look, not really how healthy, how healthy they are. And Aubrey says she's repeatedly, she says repeatedly, if someone is cosmetically overweight, then they are medically overweight. So now that really is, side note, is bullshit. You know, there there are people that are in larger bodies that are in perfect health. So that definitely is a very bad statement and very old, you know, old diet culture statement. Um, and so Michael asked, what are these terms? And Aubrey's like, she's just fully making shit up. She's like, here's one of the suggestions for how you figure out if you're too fat or if your husband is too fat. So Michael reads the quote. I've heard, I've also heard of the mirror test, which is a simple, which is simple enough. You just stand in front of a full length mirror naked and take a cold, hard look at yourself. If you are cosmetically overweight, you need to lose weight. This doesn't work for anorexics because no matter how much they weigh, they still always think they're fat. Although I doubt you would have bought this book if your husband is anorexic. And it's typically women who are anorexic anyway. This woman, this is a very interesting diet book. Uh, so Aubrey says, the suggestion to get naked, stare at yourself, and pick out all the flaws is crazy. She's like, this message is as a thin person. If an overweight person looks too fat for your taste, then not only do they need to lose weight, but you need to manipulate their behavior to make them thin. And yeah, Michael's like, yeah, it's a license to go ahead and disparage them. And, and Aubrey's like, another core message is that a good spouse will manipulate their partner, that manipulation is critical, and you're doing it because you love them. Moderating food intake, replacing dessert with a Weight Watchers frozen treat. She's like, another recipe in this book that stood out was one for Cornish game hens. She's like, it said to roast the roast it whole take all the skin off, and then top it with a sauce made of canned cherries and grape juice. Rinse the cherries, put the sauce in a pan. This is extremely disgusting. She's like, this is like totally 80s diet food. She's like, there was even one for an enchilada that you just warm up in the microwave. And Michael just makes a joke. He's like, no, sweetie, you're never going to run a restaurant like that. And, and Aubrey says another core message is that it's a woman's duty to make sure everyone is thin, including their husband. There's a section called uh, about is man fat. The entire section is called, quote, man fat as a feminist issue and how feminism was supposed to liberate us. But we all have jobs now. Uh, but now we have to go to work and then still come back and do even more work at home. She's like, life is harder, but it's still harder without a husband. And Michael's like, oh, God, that's her angle. 
And Aubrey's like, yeah, it seems like she's lost the main point of of the movement. She's basically talking in this book to straight women, married to straight men, and how women are responsible for men's weight. Because we do all the cooking and serve up the food, and how at one point she was giving him larger portions of food because that's what you do with men, right? She caters to his food needs because he is the king of the castle. Even independent women should make sure the cupboards are stocked with their husband's favorite foods. And Michael's like, why does this feel like it was written in 1937? She's a magazine reporter. It's weird that she's subjugating herself to these gender roles. And Aubrey's like, this book overall is a treatise on heterosexuality as it is on weight loss. She's like, this whole book is on her husband, but then also about how her kids should be monitored to not get overweight. And how when she met her husband... They both liked his pudgy body, but just like how women like to marry alcoholics to fix them. She's like, under my tutelage, I was certain that my husband's weight would either stay the same or decrease. And Michael's like, wow, she was looking at her marriage like a fixer-upper. And Aubrey's like, yeah, she talks about about being attracted to him, but then also wanting to fix him. It's so weird. Um. And Michael's like, it's very common for women to get blamed for kids' weight. Aubrey said she frames all the eating off her plan as binging. And Michael said what he might, which he might be because he's probably starving. So he probably does binge when he's not around her and secret eats because he can't do it around her. Uh, and and Aubrey was like, she's seeing it as a death wish, like the way he eats and or his weight and michael's like this would be like a living like living in a prison he's like comments like are you really going to eat that are so destructive and they just stick with people you know it's just a really unpleasant way to live and aubrey's like when you comment on what someone else is eating you're basically instilling an eating disorder for that person she's like we've created this culture where people think it's okay to make these comments and if you're a fat person this happens constantly she's like i know fat people who only eat at drive-thrus because they can eat in their car they don't get stared at she's like i've done this myself she's like i don't want to get shit for eating a meal she gets deeply dehumanizing to treat someone in a certain body type like a project that you are working on. And I I really do agree with that, right? That that commenting on it, trying to force someone to do something will give them what is is you're more likely to instill an eating eating disorder on them. I totally agree with that. Aubrey said the central core message is that thin women is is thin women the judgments you have on on fat people are correct and your core failing is you haven't acted on them enough your bias and judgments are correct if you're grossed out that means a person that's a person you should try to make that you should try to make thin and michael said she's treating men the way male writers treat women so I, again that that's kind of why i thought that this was interesting it was it's that role reversal of how you know most most emphasis on thinness is on women and as we learn from the economics of thinness on particularly white women so very rarely you see something like this where it's kind of the opposite where you have the thin thin wife 
wanting the husband to lose weight. It's, it's, it's often the other way around, at least uh, from what I've seen in being in the weight loss industry, being in the fitness industry. You know, I talked about that, um, that guy that, that, you know, I didn't have a lot of men in the weight loss when I was in weight loss, but there was that one guy who he was over 300 pounds and he was one of those guys that just had so much trouble losing weight, would gain weight very quickly. And his wife was the exact opposite. She was really thin. She could eat anything she wanted to. And it was just, it was very, very rare to see that, to hear about that. Same thing with Jared Freed. That's why I did so many reviews when he was on Diet Starts Tomorrow, uh, because you you kind of rarely see that. Aubrey's making a, a generalized statement about thin people wanting to control fat people's uh, behaviors when it comes to eating and thinking they know better and thinking that, um, you know, all of these things. And again, she's speaking from what she's personally experienced in society. And, and again, you can't make generalizations, just like you can't make generalizations about people in fat bodies, right? Because some people who are fat are unhealthy and some people that are fat are very healthy. And it can go both ways. You know, for sure, there are generalized beliefs that linger in our society that that tell people that or the judgment is that if they are in a larger body, they're not as healthy. Right. And so that's where the body acceptance movement, understanding, you know, different body types, different genetics, all that is so, so, so crucial um, and obviously they're referencing this like old 80s book where, you know, all of these old ideas on on what was nutritious and, and how one should eat for optimum health. I mean, things have changed a lot, uh, but I, I just thought that that was a really entertaining uh, topic. And so so I wanted to uh, I wanted to review that one, especially coming off the economics of thinness and the gender bias and how usually it's just this real emphasis on on women. And, you know, probably society didn't treat her husband any differently. Right. Her husband was probably just as successful and made just as much money as he did in a larger body, because that's just what happens in our society. But um, anyway, that's the episode. I know I went a little long today. But um, I know some of you like the long ones. And uh, for those that don't, hopefully you're enjoying my chapter markers. So you can kind of skip around to the different uh, segments and, you know, just hear what you want. But um, more good content coming up. So until we meet again, I hope all of you have a very balanced week.